You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We have many of our own political quagmires here in America right now, but across the Atlantic in England, a really interesting one has been unfolding as well. This week, the British House of Commons held two important votes, one monumental defeat for Prime Minister Theresa May and one minor victory. Lawmakers said no to her Brexit plan to leave the European Union by a historic margin. But then she survived a vote of no confidence. That leaves Britain and the EU in something of a lurch. What comes next could alter British politics and its economic and cultural future, perhaps forever. That's where we want to continue the conversation. And uh, we've got two really great guests to help us sort through what is happening across the Atlantic. Tim Pamplin is the night cam reporter with WDIV Channel 4 News here. He is a British national who has been following Brexit very closely from afar. Tim, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. Great Thank you for the invite. here in studio. Also with us is Amanda Sloat. She is the Robert Bosch Senior Fellow on Foreign Policy at the Center on the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. Amanda Sloat, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Amanda, I'm going to start with you. What happened this week and why is it significant? So this is a long-running saga that dates back to June 2016 when British voters uh, decided in a referendum that they wanted to leave the European Union. Uh, several months later, in March of 2017, the UK invoked what is known as Article 50, the treaty provision, to start negotiations with the European Union. So there was then a two-year process where the UK and the EU negotiated on the terms of the divorce settlement, which they finally reached at the end of last year. British Prime Minister Theresa May needs to get the British Parliament to agree to the terms of the divorce so things can move forward, with Brexit scheduled to take effect two years after Article 50 was triggered, so March 29th of this year. Theresa May had planned to hold a vote in December, and it was clear that there was not support in Parliament for the deal at that point. So she hoped some good cheer over the holidays would focus people's minds before she held the vote this past Tuesday. Uh, Alas, the holidays did not change people's mind, and she suffered the largest defeat of any prime minister in Parliament in the last hundred years with people rejecting her deal. Now, the Labour opposition leader, Jeremy Corbyn, then called a vote of no confidence in Theresa May's government, which, as you said, she won. So just because people don't like her Brexit deal does not mean that they want to see her government brought down, Jeremy Corbyn become the prime minister, or the country move to general elections. And so one of the things that struck me about all of this is that We have this situation unfold here in this country all the time. Uh, A president might have a policy that he wants the Congress to enact, and they say no. But that doesn't always mean that that president uh, is no longer able to lead the, the government. Tell us why that's so significant in the British system and uh, different from the way we do things here. Sure. So the Brits have a parliamentary system. Uh, They have general elections. The party that wins the most seats in parliament, the leader of that party becomes the prime minister. And so that president or that that prime minister is tied directly to the parliament to having a majority. 
So Theresa May is a member of the Conservative Party. She's the leader of the Conservative Party. Uh, and her party actually brought a separate vote of no confidence in December in her continued leadership of the party. Uh, in the United States, we have a different system where the president is separated from the legislative branch. So, for example, we now have a Republican president. And following the elections in November, we have a divided Congress. Uh, with a Republican Senate and a, a Democratic House. Uh, so the decisions of the president are not tied directly to his party's political fortunes in Congress uh, the same way they are in the U.K. What's quite extraordinary about the vote earlier this week is that in normal circumstances, if a British prime minister had lost a vote by this magnitude, it would certainly lead to her needing to resign. Uh, but despite the, the lack of popularity of her Brexit deal, it is clear that she is going to remain prime minister for the time being and efforts both within her party to replace her and also within parliament to move to elections have not succeeded so far. Hmm. Uh, Tim Pamplin, uh, you've been following the Brexit story pretty closely uh, as a citizen of the world. Uh, what do you make of what happened this week? It's entirely embarrassing, to be honest with you. To be a Brit, <laughs> I was speaking to my mother uh, just yesterday about the situation. She's recently back from the continent, and she said it is absolutely a shame what is going on right now with the British government, with the, with the, with the system over there, because no one – they're in a quagmire. There's nowhere they can go. There is one sticking point as far as we can see as Brits, and that is the Northern Ireland border. Who thought it would all come back to Northern Ireland after 20 years of peace? So, so explain that. Explain how that figures into this uh, Brexit issue. It, okay, so Northern Ireland is a part of the UK. They are British citizens. Uh, and the south of that border would be Ireland, the country of Ireland, the Republic. That's the only land border within the UK for the EU. Now, with today's announcement that the, milit the uh, army reserves have been called up to start getting ready uh, for a no-deal Brexit, a hard Brexit with no agreement, the last thing anybody would want to see is the military back in Northern Ireland patrolling the streets. And that's really the, it, it, it's a mechanical thing. There's a 300 mile border between the North and South. That would be a Europe, that is a European border. And the Good Friday Agreement, which was signed 20 years ago to stop all the hostilities over there, says specifically there shall be no hard border between North and, and South, between Northern Ireland and Ireland. That is the sticking point here, as far as I can tell. It's, the sticking point is how do you manage that border outside the context of the agreements of the EU? Absolutely right. And the Good Friday Agreement, which says there shall be no hard border. You, you simply cannot go ahead and put a wall Sounds familiar. You cannot go ahead and put a wall up <laughs> between Europe and Great Britain. It, it's, a, it's a no go. Right. Uh, Amanda, you did uh, your postdoc work in Northern Ireland. Can you help us understand a little more about how this plays into Brexit? Sure. Yeah, I moved there actually a week before 9-11, so it was a very interesting place given their own troubled past to watch the uh, first incident or large-scale incident of, of terrorism in the United States. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right that, that the issue is the border. The reason why this matters is not so much for the free movement of, of people, which is something that could continue, but it's an economic issue in terms of customs. If you think about the United States and Canada, for example, there's a customs border. So the U.S. and Canada have a trade agreement, but there still is a need for, for customs checks. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with driving to, to Windsor and, and, you know, checks along the, the border there. 
for goods in large trucks that are moving back and forth. Right now, because the UK and Ireland are both part of the European Union, they are following the same economic and regulatory rules that are part of the European Union. Once the UK leaves the EU, it will no longer be bound by those economic rules. And so if, for example, the UK starts to import products from China that the EU does not deem safe, the EU wants to make sure that those products are not able to move into Ireland and then enter the EU through the back door that way. So the discussion has been how you preserve the sanctity of the European Union's economic system by maintaining checks on goods without putting physical infrastructure on the border uh, that, as was said, is going to be very psychologically damaging to people, given the fact that there was so much infrastructure there during this very troubled period in their history. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guests are Tim Pamplin, a night cam reporter with WDIV Channel 4 News. He is a British national who has been following what is going on in the UK over Brexit pretty closely. Uh, also with us is Amanda Sloat. She is the Robert Bosch Senior Fellow on Foreign Policy, the Center on United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. We're talking about the controversy over the uh, British exit from from uh, the EU. Uh, we saw a lot of news this week from England about what is going on in Parliament between lawmakers and uh, Prime Minister Theresa May. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what does Brexit tell you about the turmoil among democracies right now? Uh, is it a coincidence that we are going through this all at the same time? If you think of the similarities between what's happening in England and what's happening here in the United States uh, with our president, the impulses that led to his win in 2016 and also led to the Brexit vote in 2016. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag us, uh, we can work you into the conversation. Let's go to James in Belleville. James, what's on your mind? Well, it's a great show, great topic, and you just hit it. Impulsive behavior. At what point does... John Engler, uh, Prime Minister of Britain, say, you know, I, I made a mistake. I was acting impulsively, or our President Trump, I was acting impulsively. I made a mistake. We need a do-over. Hmm. And, and it just seems to be folks are locked in their position. They refuse to be humble and say, that was a mistake. Exiting the EU is a terrible mistake. Let's do it over. Uh, Angler, we know Angler. We've been around. <laughs> he acts impulsively. He says stupid stuff, and and he needs a do-over. Really, he needs he needs out. And I'm glad that he resigned. Mm. But the, the president of the United States, he he does some stupid stuff, but just absolutely inability to say that was a mistake. Let's try again. Let's fix it. Right, uh, James. I really appreciate the call. Uh, in the comments, uh, Tim Pamplin, is that something that you hear from uh, friends and relatives in the UK that, that you need new leadership? And how likely is that to happen? The caller brought up a great point. This is where we get to the heart of what a democracy looks like. You give the people a vote. 17 and a half million Brits said, yes, let's leave. And then what do we do when we get into, when we, when we, when we, when we're in the factory making the product, making the sausage, and they say, oh, it's awful. We don't want to see this anymore. We want to get out. Do you, does a politician say, okay, 
we'll give you a second chance. Now, for reals is this time. Do you want to stay in or do you want to get out? That's not how democracy works. Once the voter has spoken, they should have spoken. So, so do you think that they should just push forward uh, with this and try to figure out a way to exit the EU in a way that doesn't damage Britain? Or should she, should she say, hey, look, this was a mistake. Let's, let's think about it again. This is, this is the billion-dollar question, isn't it? How, how do you resolve this? I'd, I'd be keen to hear uh, Amanda's views on this. But it seems that there are a couple of – there are basically six options, but the two ones that rise to the top – um, well, of course, Theresa May has until Monday. She, on Monday, she's going to come back with Plan B. The theory is it's going to be nothing different than Plan A. She might have been able to twist a few arms over the weekend, but we'll have to see. It's certainly not enough to get that passed. Mm-hmm. The second option is a, is a second referendum, uh, the, the people's vote. But a lot of the people are saying, we've already voted. Let's just going to move on. Right, and that's, what, we, that's what I'm hearing on the ground in England. But my, my friends and family over there saying, look, the vote has been made. The politicians are letting us down. Move forward. And that's where you have the problem. Remember, Theresa May was a Remainer, was an ardent Remainer before she became uh, prime minister. So she's, 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 she's <laughs> between a rock and a hard place. <laughs> uh, Amanda, your series following Brexit for Brookings is called Brexit Endgame. Uh, regardless of whether the UK leaves the EU, is the endgame still about the level of damage, I guess, that's inflicted uh, on, on the British government? I, in some ways, yes. And it's also the, the question of the degree of damage that, that's inflicted on, on the UK itself and, and on the, the European Union. Um, I mean, I would say a, a couple things also related to the, the previous caller's question. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is certainly a lot of debate in the UK right now about whether or not there should be a second referendum. Uh, some people are saying that they did not have complete information during the Brexit referendum campaign. They didn't fully understand what was at stake. There were things that were lies. Uh, there have been accusations of, of Russian disinformation and, and interference in the campaign. Uh, so some people are, are calling for a second referendum. Uh, a, now that there is more clarity about what this would entail. And second, because Parliament is at such a, a deadlock. Uh, other people are, are saying, uh, as was, was just said, that the British people already voted. Democracy and votes have consequences, and, and therefore we need to implement the decision. Uh, and, you know, the caller had made the comparison with the United States. And one of the things I say to people is, well, you know, now we see what Donald Trump is. Should we redo the election on Donald Trump? You know, those people that don't like Donald Trump are going to say yes. Those people that supported Donald Trump two years ago are going to say, hey, we had an election. We won the election. There's consequences. And no, of course, we, we shouldn't vote again. Uh, so there is a lot of debate on, on the referendum. The other problem with the referendum is what is the question that you would actually ask people? Do you go back and have a do-over of the 2016 referendum and say, do you want to stay in the EU or not? Do you go back to people with Theresa May's plan and say, okay, you voted for Brexit. This is the plan on the table. Do you support this? Yes or no? Or do you have some sort of multiple choice question where you say, do you want Brexit? If so, do you want Theresa May's plan? If not, do you want another plan? Uh, which, as you can see, is is very, very complicated. Uh, and quite frankly, the UK at this stage is, is also starting to run out of time. Hmm. Yeah, just, just 37 working days left, parliamentary days left to get this hammered out. It's, it's not looking good. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about Brexit, and we want to continue to hear from you, Christine and Jean in Detroit. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them on the phones, 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Tim Pamplin. He's a night cam reporter with WDIV Channel 4 News. He is a British national who's been following Brexit pretty closely from afar. Also with us is Amanda Sloat. She is the Robert Bosch Senior Fellow on Foreign Policy at the Center on the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. We're talking about the news about Brexit this week uh, out of the UK. The the two votes uh, that uh, that took place uh, that rejected Theresa May's plan to exit the EU, but then retained her as Prime Minister. This is the kind of political quagmire that we are seeing unfold in a lot of democracies around the world, especially this one here in the United States. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what you make of what's happening in the UK uh, with Brexit and whether it reminds you of some of the tough questions we have here that we don't seem to be able to resolve. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag us and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Christine in Detroit. Christine, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. It's so great. This is a wonderful conversation. I was hoping the two panelists could weigh in on sort of uh, the role that like very strong European national identity has played in Brexit and in uh, a lot of Britain's desire to leave. It seems as though with the more open borders, the more ease of, uh, um, of uh, passports and whatnot, that seemed to kind of threaten folks' sense of like, if Britain is still British. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in their thoughts about how that played into not only the decision to to, to, to leave and execute Brexit, but now how that's playing in the sort of turmoil now about whether or not to redo the vote or, uh, or ultimately stay. Mm. Thank you so much. Mm. Uh, Tim, you're a British national. Talk about how those feelings of nationalism have maybe changed in Britain over time. Well, of course, Britain has a very rich history, uh, dating back uh, many years back to the Victorian era when we had the uh, the British Empire, of course, very strong, and that's been dwindled away over the years. <laughs> and we're now just a little island in the North Sea, all on our own, but still very patriotic and very proud. Now, being the island, not having the land border apart from the uh, aforementioned uh, Irish border, we are staunchly independent as, as, a, as a nation. We've got the Queen, we're a sovereign state. We've always felt, I suspect, a little prickly, Certainly about the European court. Don't forget, Brexit's about you know money, borders, and law. And law. We don't, we don't, we're not a big fan of the European court and being told what to do. You know, uh, taking lots of spending lots of money, uh, sending lots of money to Europe and not getting much back, and having an awful lot of immigration coming into our country and using up the resources. And I suspect that that would be one of the top reasons why people voted for this: the immigration control, the open border, people coming in working. And so what's happening now is or what happened certainly during Brexit, during the deci- lead up to the decision, was there was a campaign uh, spearheaded by uh, Nigel Farage of the UKIP party, uh, ultra right wing, Euro- hard Eurosceptic, <laughs> a- and he got a lot of mo- uh, momentum behind him. However, that campaign wasn't very well explained. <laughs> this is what we're going to do. So now Britain feels like they've... The, the Brits feel like they've been duped a little bit. It's like, hang on, well, this wasn't explained to us, as Amanda said earlier. There wasn't a full explanation of, of how this is going to play out. S- with a 52-48 vote, that's fairly close. Mm-hmm. 
and it's flip-flopping. I suspect that at the end of the day, most people in Great Britain will say, now we know the details, the devil is in the details, let's go back to the polls and have a people's vote. I suspect that is the, mm. the workout here. I don't know, but I suspect, and, and of course, what would happen right. if the unthinkable happened? If they voted again to say, <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're, out, we're out of here, right? Yes. Uh, Amanda Sloat, try to put this for us in... in the sort of bigger context of nationalism and the rise in nationalism that we see, not just in Britain, but in other parts of Europe and, of course, here in America. Yeah, I think what happened in the Brexit referendum does have parallels to what we've seen in the United States, what we're seeing in, in other European countries, rise of far-right parties. Uh, certainly, as Tim said, the issue of immigration is something that's been salient in all of these countries. We're, of course, seeing the debate in the United States right now over the building of the wall, immigration from Mexico and, and Latin America. Uh, we saw a lot of debates over immigration in Europe, uh, particularly in 2015 with the flood of Syrian refugees and others coming into Greece and Italy and Germany. Uh, and there was also an immigration debate in, in the UK, although it was slightly different in that one of the key principles of the European Union is the free movement of people. Uh, so the debate in the UK, for example, focused on the, the proverbial Polish plumber, uh, which were people coming from Central and Eastern Europe who were wanting to get better paid jobs in the, the UK. Uh, many people, of course, also forget the right of British people, for example, to retire in Spain for students to study in, in Europe and, and for people to, to also travel in the other direction. Uh, so immigration certainly was a component of that. Uh, there was also issues of, of identity, uh, and, and Tim hit on that. Uh, what's interesting with that is I think it's been much more salient in a place like, like England than it was, for example, in places like Scotland and Northern Ireland, where people also had a Scottish and Irish identity uh, that was coupled with their, their British identity. Uh, but in the U.S., there's also a lot of questions about what it means to be American, debates over who are the people that we want to, to have living here. And then finally, there's debates about sovereignty. Uh, the world certainly has become much more interconnected. We have the role of international organizations. One of the arguments driving the Brexit debate was this idea that many in the U.K. did not want to be dictated to by Brussels. They didn't want to have um, a, a foreign system dictating to them, which, of course, was not completely true because you had British uh, politicians in the European Parliament, you had British ministers taking decisions in the EU, uh, but there was that perception. And you see echoes of that in the debate in the United States uh, with President Trump uh, questioning some of these international organizations, these trade agreements that he thinks are undermining American sovereignty to act in its interests. Mm -hmm. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments, Christine. Uh, let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, I've got about two minutes left. But, uh, I just want to say ahead. real quickly that, um, you know, we're looking at the Brits and how they can't make a decision and they're so divided and everything like that. But we're not looking at the European perspective. This is kind of a slap in their face. And I think that this should be like Shark Tank where they go back and they say, well, you didn't like our deal, so you're going to get a worse deal. <laughs> this would force them to do another referendum. <laughs> So you think that the European Union should, should sort of gang up, I guess, on uh, Britain for having voted to leave? Basically, just, you know, you wanted to leave, so leave. <laughs> right. OK. Uh, Robert, I, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, Amanda Sloat, what would happen uh, if Britain just left and that there was no real plan to to, to smooth that exit. Like I said, we've got about a minute and a half left, but I, w I really want to get to this point. 
Sure, sure. I and I, you know, and a lot of what Robert is saying is reflected in in Europe. It's you know, the EU did not want to see the UK leave. The UK decided to leave, and so there is a sense that they they want to have them get on with it. Uh, there's two scenarios that we haven't talked about yet. One is the possibility of no Brexit. Uh, the European Court of Justice ruled at the end of last year that the UK could stop this process if it wanted to. Uh, so if there was a vote of Parliament, Theresa May could go back to the EU and say, you know what, we've changed our mind. This is really messy. Uh, sorry about all the chaos over the last two years, but but we're going to stay in. So that's one possibility that there is no Brexit. Seems very unlikely, but but possible. The other possibility is is what's called a no deal Brexit. If there is not agreement by March 29th, which is the deadline, if there is no extension, uh, if there is no plan agreed to, the UK simply crashes out of the European Union. And if that happens, there's no transition period. There's no guarantee for the rights of Brits living in Europe, Europeans living in the UK. And most significantly, the UK's trading arrangements with the EU would stop. And so the UK would return to trading with Europe on WTO rules, which means very high tariffs. Yes. All of the goods would have to be checked at the at the border. Uh, and you're starting to see preparations with people stockpiling food and medicine, because this would clearly be very disruptive to the trade, affect supply lines, uh, and take quite a while to sort out and likely cause significant economic damage in the near term. Uh, Tim Pamplin, we've got about 30 seconds left. I'll give you the last word. What's going to happen? That's, no one knows what's going to happen, mm. to be honest with you, and that's why I feel so sorry for, 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 for Prime Minister. I think the bottom line here, Stephen, is this indicates why plebiscites are such a bad idea. I mean, you can't take such an enormously complex situation such as Brexit, mm-hmm. and turn it into a binary and situation. Yes or no. Right? Yeah, you can't do that. And that's why we're where we are now. Mm. Okay. Uh, Tim Pamplin, Night Cam Reporter with WDIV Channel 4. Great to have you here for this conversation. Thank you, Stephen. And Amanda Sloat, Robert Bosch, Senior Fellow on Foreign Policy at the Center on United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. Thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us this week. Remember, if you had to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today, and you can listen wherever and wherever you like. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. I'll see you next week.